Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio, I'm Jason Bellamy. An athlete with a torn anterior cruciate ligament faces a daunting rehabilitation challenge. With or without surgery, a significant amount of physical therapy is likely to be involved to regain strength and range of motion in their injured knee. But the athlete's body might not be the only thing that could benefit from treatment. Their thoughts and emotions need rehabilitation too. Recent studies suggest that fear of re-injury is commonly cited amongst knee injury patients who don't return to their sport. The body may be willing, but the mind may not. In this episode, you'll hear from two healthcare professionals who see the psychological toll of injuries up close, sports psychologist Jack Lessick and Dr. of Physical Therapy Carol Ferkovic mack In the following interview, they describe how an athlete's belief in his or her ability to recover from any injury and their understanding of the process to get there can be key to returning to sport. Dr. Jack Lessig, let's start with the basics of what is sports psychology for people that don't understand how this is similar or dissimilar from what they think of as general psychology. What makes sports psychology special? Sports psychology studies and applies the interface between participation in sport and psychological variables. And those of us who call ourselves sports psychologists really engage in one or more of three different activities. Uh, One is we have sports psychologists who just do research. They are primarily university-based. Second are sports psychologists who mostly teach university-based and those like myself who are practitioners. I work with athletes. I've been doing so for about 30 years. I work mostly one-on-one. And when I work with athletes, I do two different things. One, I help them to deal with the general stresses of being a committed athlete, dealing with growing up, relationships, balancing time, all those kinds of things. And then more specifically, I deal with helping an athlete to identify skills, mental skills that are necessary for sport to help them find what their strengths are so they can build on those and also find out where there are mental skills that could improve through training, working with them one-on-one. I try to work with athletes across the board, not just those who are underperforming. Many people think that sports psychology is only for athletes who are having trouble, but I view it like strength and conditioning. Every athlete can use a good assessment and then an improvement program. I'm curious about, you mentioned dealing with the stresses, essentially, or the realities of being an athlete. Are those pretty similar across sports? That's the first question. And then the second part of the question is, how similar are they to the average person, or is there kind of a pretty unique trend? Well, I think, you know, there is some difference between sports. I mean, some sports are just extremely demanding of one's time, where both practice and competition tends to be year-round, tends to involve many, many hours of training each week. Other sports might be a little bit lighter. It also has to do with the person's commitment. Some people are very, very heavily committed and put in all that time, put even extra time, Others might be engaging in the same sport, and they're just not quite so committed. You know, and most of the athletes that I work with are highly committed because these are the only athletes who really would seek out the services of a sports psychologist. And then those athletes, are their stresses all that dissimilar from the everyday work-life stresses of somebody who isn't an athlete? Overall, probably not dissimilar. 
but they probably have an extra layer, and that is by setting very high goals, very high standards, and devoting a lot of their time and energy toward that pursuit. And very often with athletes, I will ask them the question, what would you be doing with all that time if you weren't participating in swimming or tennis or basketball, whatever it might be, because the time consumption is incredible. The average person who is not so committed may have the same level of stress, but they have more time and more resources in a way to deal with life stresses. I want to talk a little bit about injury now. And in past episodes of this podcast, we've seen over and over again kind of the relationship between the mind and the body. Understanding one's pain can be a key to overcoming that pain. Feeling understood by others about the pain you're going through can be a huge part of coping and improving. In your experience dealing with athletes who have physical injuries, what is the emotional and mental toll of those? You know, it's hard to say because it does depend on when the injury occurs in their developmental cycle, when it occurs in terms of the season and expectations and the individual you know, personality. But there's no doubt at any level there is psychological stress because injuries are never invited. You know, they usually occur rather suddenly and they're at any level they're disruptive. And so that does tax the individual's coping resources. And as with other life stresses, the more they have people who are helping them through that situation, the better they're going to cope. Probably a little bit of difference, too, I think, between what I call invisible injuries and visible. You know, and the invisible injuries are the one where the athlete feels the pain, experiences it, but they're not wearing a cast or a brace or some outward sign that they're injured. And sometimes a little bit harder to get emotional support. And there's also some question about the genuineness of the injury when it's not quite so visible. Absolutely. In cases where athletes suffer devastating injuries, is that a situation where they might benefit from a sports psychologist from talking about how to come back from a fear of getting hurt again or relying on their body again? I think there's a first line. Certainly the physical therapist and the medical people and sometimes even the coaches are like the very first line. They're most likely to be the first responders when the athlete is injured, and very often they do lend a lot of understanding, a lot of empathy. They've been through this with so many other athletes through their professional experience. And I think for the most part, they do a really good job. And I would see sports psychology as maybe a second level, that for the athlete who's not responding to that kind of emotional support and needs something else, that would be where a sports psychologist might come into the picture. You mentioned earlier that you view it more as a health and wellness thing, not necessarily responding to athletes that aren't performing well. I kind of want to expand on that a little bit. Do you tend to see more athletes who are responding to a negative or athletes who are seeking peak performance? I think the reality is I'm more likely to see somebody who is underperforming. That seems to be the drive for them to making an appointment. You understand I'm in private practice for the most part. And so all my clients are self-selected. In some cases, a parent will call up, and usually there is a precipitating event. Maybe they've been struggling with something for a long time, but very often it's they just came back from an ice skating competition and did absolutely terrible, and she's been choking under pressure a lot. And we always say we ought to do something about it, but now is the time. So usually the immediate precipitant is a recent event of great disappointment and underperformance. Now, I would prefer to move our field in the direction of where this is just part of every athlete's support team. It doesn't have to be intensive involvement, but at least to do some assessment and say, here are your strengths and weaknesses, and let's do some good work before this serious underperformance. Let's bring in our doctor of physical therapy now, Carol Furkovic-Mack. Carol, 
in your experience, you sometimes would be on the front lines of dealing with athletes who have problems, especially when we're talking about physical problems that they might be trying to come back from or those invisible injuries that other people might not take seriously. In your experience, what are the indicators that an athlete might be struggling with emotionally or mentally with the injuries that they're having? Some of the biggest indicators are when any athlete that really feels removed from their sport or their team, usually that's a red flag and we just, just kind of watch them to make sure because they're starting to lose that identity for either the reason because of the injury or just because they're rehabbing and their rehab schedule's not matching, their practice schedule may have to spend time away, or the team has kind of left them behind to travel to another competition. So anything like that really makes me want to watch the athlete a little bit closer than a normal situation. The other thing that I keep an eye out for is anyone either says or when we're putting them through, you know, running or sprinting or anything to return to sport, anything that's showing that they're having this high lack of confidence in returning to play. Just because if, for example, somebody had ACL surgery and they are having the confidence to run and sprint and plant on that leg, those kinds of things are indicators for me. Yeah, let's build off of that ACL. I know there's been some research on athletes struggling related to fear of re-injury with that specific injury. How common is that? It's actually very common. It's more common than we thought it was. There was a study that was published in 2012 in the American Journal of Sports Medicine, and it was dealing with high school and college football players. What we found was 43% of football players were able to return to play at the same level, which I think in rehab world and the sports medicine world, something like ACL injury is so common, we just assume that we get everybody back to play and you just come back to that. But the fact that not even half of the cohort return to play is a big deal at the same level. Out of the remaining players that were unable to return to play at that same level, 27% of those felt like they were not at that level and 30% of those athletes didn't return at all. And actually, when they went and asked the 30% that weren't able to return to play what their reason for it was, it was fear of re-injury. So it's huge, and and I think it's something that we overlooked until now. People aren't coming back to play at the same level. If we keep working with ACL, for example, I have to think for everyone who has that injury that those first steps, proverbial or, or physical, right, those first steps of getting back have to be fearful. So what's the dividing line? In other words, how long does it take the normal person, quote-unquote, and I realize everybody's different, to start regaining trust in their body? And then what's the sign that it's been too long and they're still being too timid, too fearful, and not trusting that their body's going to hold up? There's markers along the way, so putting that foot on the ground for the first time, that usually should happen about a day after surgery, but where the patient's able to walk without crutches and have confidence in their leg should happen anywhere from about two weeks out of surgery. So if that's not going along, that's the first kind of, again, red flag and wondering if there's something going on confidence-wise in their limb. Then from there, once the athletes are gaining strength, around the three-month mark of surgery, we let them run on their legs for the first time. And if we're seeing fear in those movements, then that's another kind of marker along the way that that, you know, walking may have been okay, but then running is scary for them. Then even the five- or six-month mark from surgery, watching if the athlete wants to plant on their leg or use it to stop and change directions, that kind of thing. So it's kind of along the continuum. There may be areas that that, that lack of confidence comes out. And some people come out early as right after surgery. And some people at the five- or six-month mark where they're about to return to sport, that's where we see that lack of confidence. More broadly speaking, kind of regardless of injury, how important is it to you as a physical therapist working on the physical rehabilitation to have the patient's confidence and trust? 
Oh, it's it's incredibly important. I mean, from day one, that's actually the first thing that I want to build with a patient because if they don't buy in and if they don't understand that I'm here to help them get that confidence and that trust back in their legs, then the rehab's not going to be successful. With something like ACL injury, there's strength gains to be had, but then there's that neurological control and that confidence in the limb, and if those aren't there, then that's the percentage that aren't going to return to sport. And how do you build that trust? I build it in a couple ways. The first one is just asking the athlete about what their goals are. Are they a high-level soccer player and we need to work towards that? Are they a football player? Are they trying to get back to recreational sports? Whatever it is, I need to have the athlete understand that I'm there for them to achieve that goal. So having that conversation as soon as they walk into our clinic is huge. The other thing I do is I lay out the entire spectrum of rehab. Um, To use the ACL example again, just because that's what's been documented in the literature, I want to make sure that they understand that, yes, this is going to be a a six- to nine-month rehab. They're going to have times where the leg is going to be sore right after surgery. It's going to be swollen. It's going to feel weak. Those things are normal, and we're here to help them through that. So I feel like setting a realistic expectation doesn't catch anyone off guard. It shows that I'm trying to get them to buy into their rehab. I'm going to ask you both the same question from two different angles. We'll start with Carol first. If you're working with an athlete who is struggling to regain that confidence or trust, is that a situation that you might recommend somebody like a sports psychologist? I mean, do you see that as potentially being beneficial to getting them to have the confidence, believe in themselves from your perspective? Could that help? Yes, definitely. I think there's a huge role for the psychological element of this rehab. And then, Dr. Jack Lessig, I mean, do you get patients in that way? You said you obviously sometimes wish you get patients that don't self-select. I mean, is that a good productive avenue for somebody who's struggling with that specific problem, that fear of re-injury and trying to return to play? I think so. And, you know, Carol said something which I think is really important, so I wanted to underscore it. I really like the way she was saying how she outlines what can be expected in terms of rehab process. You know, from the psychological point of view, we know that athletes as a group, you know, are very goal-directed people, but they're also high-information people. They're used to that in terms of their regular sports training. Carol mentioned it really does fit that giving them very realistic, honest, complete information about the natural course of recovery and physical therapy and those kinds of things is just so important. And along with that, you know, setting kind of markers and goals along the way. And I think that a lot of the psychological distress can be reduced by doing those things. You know, the other part, which is probably where a sports psychologist might come in, you know, just has to do with the overall commitment that the person has to their sport and their identity with the sport, which has been often very severely interrupted. And the more central it is to the person's self-definition and identity, then probably the more serious is the interruption. So helping them through the period of injury as well, is that correct? Yeah, yes. I have to say I identify with that personally. I mean, I've been a runner. I've had injuries and not been able to run and felt, mm-hmm. you know, bummed about it. So I, I can well. only imagine somebody whose life is de- dedicated to that. So building off of that as well, if you have an athlete who have such high expectations, so much of their personal confidence, their daily happiness is based around their success in sport, right? I'm curious, and maybe this is me playing too much armchair psychologist in the presence of an actual one, so I, I don't want to do that. Sometimes can the fear be not so much the fear of re-injury, but the fear of, say, the knee will be fine or the shoulder will be fine or the elbow will be fine, but I just won't perform as well as I used to and I just can't get back to where I was and almost that fear of not being as good as I used to be. I think that's quite accurate. That It's a fairly common fear in the athletes that I've worked with who have sustained you know, injuries like this. I think there's a difference between the first serious injury and then later on ones. 
And I think for some people that first serious injury does alter their confidence about the sport, and they're also believing of being invincible. And if you've never had a serious sport injury and you've been an athlete for a while, it's pretty easy to just be in denial that this isn't going to happen to me. And when it does happen, you know, it kind of reframes one's thoughts about the sport and once you've been injured seriously you just kind of know that it could happen again whether it be the same injury or something else so it does foster a lot of self-doubt that has to be kind of worked through before they can get to that point where they're performing again and not thinking constantly about the injury or re-injury and as you pointed out probably a secondary level is am I going to get back to where I was performing before I talk about three phases in helping an athlete return to their sport after an interruption. And phase one is just getting used to playing again without expectations, just feeling more comfortable in the competitive environment, just re-entry, essentially. And then phase two is getting back to where I used to be before this interruption. And then phase three is going beyond and continuing to improve, as I intended to do before the interruption. And there's no way of setting time limits, whether this is a few weeks or a few months. It depends on the individual, the injury, and all these kinds of things. But sometimes it eases a little bit of pressure on them by thinking they're going to go through those three phases and not going to just jump right back in. Carol, I'm sure you must see the same thing in terms of an athlete's frustration with re-injury and maybe how difficult. Does that increase the challenge of the rehab just based on their confidence and frustration? I think it does. And it's a question that we get all the time from athletes in rehab, you know, am I going to be able to perform at the same level? Am I going to be as fast as I was before the surgery? And what I try to tell people is we're going to try our best. I think there's a very good chance that you will be able to get to that point. And we have a saying around here, the goal of any rehab is to get you stronger than it was before the surgery. So trying to take away those risk factors that may have predisposed you for an injury. Sometimes that's an issue, sometimes it isn't. But at least they're understanding that, you know, I'm not going to let you go back to your sport until you have that speed again until you have that power to push off of your leg or those kinds of things. So we see it and we try to deal with it in the physical realm, but there is a huge psychological role in it as well. Dr. Lessig, we focused, or at least I've been imagining as we've been going through this, more elite-level athletes. Could an amateur athlete benefit from sports psychology as well? Yeah, and you know, many of the athletes I work with, I think the common thread in my work is I work with athletes who are very serious and committed to their sport. Most of them are recreational, very serious recreational or amateur athletes, you know, not professional. But when you're serious about your sport, any interruption, any underperformance, any injury really does pervade who you are and can benefit from this kind of help. So let's go with some parting takeaway on this whole topic. And Carol, I'll start with you. Athletes who have an injury and essentially a devastating injury, and and by that I don't necessarily mean the physical cost, but the mental, emotional cost. What are your tips for getting them in the proper mindset initially to believe in their treatment, to seek it out in the first place? Where does that process start? It starts from the very first meeting with the patient and just having the conversation about goals and then trying to figure out how removed that athlete is from the team and trying to build in any kind of element of normalcy back into the rehab process. It starts at that point and then throughout the rehab continuum that I don't ever like to leave that aspect of the mental readiness and having them feel like they're a part or having them feel like the rehab has a goal, and end goal, or you know, just gradually showing them that little by little you are getting back to that point that you were before the injury. Dr. Lessig, from your perspective, what are, maybe for an athlete who 
is dealing with the injury or dealing with the recovery from injury, what are the warning signs maybe that they could use help? They could use talking to any healthcare professional, but maybe specifically a sports psychologist. I think, you know, probably the number one warning sign, you know, is, is depression. And a little bit of depression is appropriate. You know, depression is a normal reaction to losing something, and losing your ability to play at this point in time is a loss. And so we do expect to see a little bit of depression, but usually it's not too severe and it's not too prolonged, and you mobilize the person through the depression. Carol has said by giving them treatment goals that they can work on and be actively participating in, maintaining contact and identity with the team. But every once in a while you see a depression that is much more severe, and the individual is withdrawing from those very things that could help them to move on, and that lasts for more than a couple of days. That would probably, in my mind, be one of the chief indicators that they need something more. And it's some kind of psychological counseling, either from a clinical or a sports psychologist. Excellent advice from both of you. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Jack Lessig, Carol Furkvik Mack. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com radio.